Hey, good morning, Active Church. It's Pastor Mike. I'm so glad that you're with us today. We're in the middle of a series called Timeless, and we're looking at some of the past stories and how they can impact our present day stories. Today, you're in for a real gift. Pastor James is with us and bringing the message, and he's gonna be talking about King David. So would you welcome Pastor James to the stage? One of my earliest memories is not exactly a memory, it's a song. Uh, do you remember those songs that you would sing as a kid that kind of get stuck in your head? Maybe some of you grew up with uh, Barney's I Love You, You Love Me. Let's get that song out of our heads permanently, shall we? Or maybe you just grew up with Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. Well. I grew up with songs about Bible characters. I was 100% a church kid. I even dressed as a Bible character, or should I say I was forced to dress as a Bible character for Halloween. So the songs that we sang were about biblical characters. And I don't know why this one just stuck in my head always. And I don't remember all the words. And I'm certainly not going to sing it for you today. <laughs> Maybe later. But this is what it said. It essentially says this. It's about a guy named David. It says, David was a shepherd boy, a lot like you and me. God loved him so and taught him to know just what he was meant to be. Under God's protection and always in his care, David knew that by his side, God was always there. The song went on. It had stories of David's conquests, and it even had some sound effects to keep us awake on those sleepy Sunday mornings in Sunday school. But this part, this last part, always stuck with me. Under God's protection, always in his care, David knew by his side, God was always there. Maybe you know about this guy. Maybe you've heard about David. We actually sang a song this morning that talks about David. He tends to be one of the more famous biblical figures along the lines of Moses parting the Red Sea or Noah and the ark or Jonah and the whale, right? And didn't Casey and Jess do great jobs for us these past few weeks? Can we give it up for them again? They did incredible talking about these biblical figures, but who is David? Does, does his name ring a bell to you? Maybe hearing about him as a shepherd boy, maybe that rings a bell for you. Or maybe you remember somewhere along the lines hearing about the good King David, the good and wise King David. Or maybe you've even heard his name sung in popular songs. There's a song by a guy named Jeff Buckley called Hallelujah that sings about who David is, sings about some of his missteps even. It says, I heard there was a secret chord that David played and it pleased the Lord. That's this David. Let me apologize. I am the worship pastor here, so you may have to deal with some singing today. You may have to deal with some musical references. If, uh, if Mike can throw in all of his angels references, I get to throw in some musical references, right? <laughs> Don't cheer for the angels. Let's not. But there's one story that I know that everyone is aware of when it comes to David. It's two names. Everyone knows this story. David and... Goliath. David and Goliath. Why do we love this story? This is one of those stories that everybody knows. David and Goliath. We know this like the back of our hand. We've seen it played out time and time again. You know why? It's because we love an underdog story. We love an underdog story. We can't help but root for the underdog. We love a sports underdog story, right? We love to see when a team is so bad, when they lose and they're down and they just keep losing over and over like the angels, right? 
Sorry, I got to get my jabs in there with Mike. Didn't They had a winning streak or something, though, right? I, I don't know. Ask Mike about that. We love an underdog story. And David and Goliath is the most epic underdog story. If you were going to cast this as a movie, it would look like this. Timothy Chalamet versus The Rock, right? This would be the action version of David and Goliath. We've got the scrawny kid versus just this beast hulk of a man, right? Or maybe they would do it as a comedy and we could have like uh, Kevin Hart versus Shaq, right? That would be like the con- They wouldn't even fight. They would just play basketball. And that would be, that would be the end of the movie. That would be it. We love an underdog story. But there's something else about David that we're going to dive into today. These are just some of the aspects of who he was, some of the stories that we know. David is a unique character, and I I really love David. He's always resonated with me. He's unique because he's complex. He's layered. When we look at some of these biblical figures, they can oftentimes, you know, we think, oh, they're just flat. They're just this. They teach us this one thing. But David is such a complex and layered character, I really want us to dig into who he was, what was at his heart, and what he believed about his identity, and how he dealt with the world around him. David has this duality. He lives in these two worlds. He was a worshiper. It says that he would go out in his younger days, and he would go out into the field, and he would pick up his lute, his little mandolin, whatever the medieval instrument was. He would play it, and he would sing songs to God, and he would weep. He would cry as he worshiped under the stars with his sheep out in the field. He had a sensitive side. He was connected to God, to his emotions. He was a poet at heart. But in the same era of his life, David was also wrestling bears. That's what it says. It says on one hand, he's over here, and he's singing his songs, and he's pouring his heart out to God. And then in the next moment, he's literally wrestling bears to keep them away from his sheep. How incredible is that? He's soft and tender, but he also can put on his battle gear. He can be dressed in his shepherd's clothes. And then other seasons of his life, we see him as a king. He's living in both of these worlds. He can do both things. Ladies, y'all have a phrase for, uh, for a guy like this. It's, it's kind of a modern phrase. Some of y'all might be aware of it. When, when a guy can look good in his dirty work clothes and also a suit, what phrase is that? Does anybody know? Get yourself a man. Who can do both? Have you guys ever heard that phrase before? Floating around on Instagram or on social media, get yourself a man that can do both. That is David. He's complex. He's living in both worlds. He's rough and tumble, and then he's also a king, and he's sensitive, and he's connected to God. My wife loves this show, and before I say what it is and I ask you guys if you've seen it, first of all, no judgment, no judgment in this place, right? No TV or film is perfect, so no judgment. But has anybody seen the show Yellowstone? Yellowstone? I knew in a room like this we were going to have some Yellowstone fans. No judgment to anybody. It's all good. If you watch Game of Thrones, I want to pray for you. That's fine. Um, (laughs) So my wife loves this show Yellowstone. And in particular, as we're talking about complex characters, as we're talking about someone that kind of lives in both worlds, my wife loves this character, and he's called Rip. Ladies, can I get a woo-woo for Rip? There he is. Look at that guy. That guy could wrestle a bear, right? My wife loves this character. Obviously, she loves a beard. She loves a rough-looking dude, right? She loves Rip. This guy can fight. He can bring home the bacon. He can fry it in the pan. I don't know what that means. But he is a man's man. Just picture this when you think of David fighting armies, right? So... 
I'm getting a little jealous. This is my wife's, I'm confessing to you guys, this is her celebrity crush, all right? So I'm getting a little jealous. In fact, let's get honest. Turn to your neighbor and tell him your celebrity crush right now. I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. You don't have to do that. So I'm getting a little jealous, so what do I do? I go online and I find the actor that plays Rip because, you know, she likes this rough and tumble guy. And so I go to her and I say, hey babe, you know that, uh, you know that guy? You know that Rip guy? He's so manly, right? She's like, yeah. And I go, well, this is what he really looks like. <laughs> that is not the same guy. How is that the same guy? That's not. The beard does wonders. How is that the same guy? This guy's not wrestling a bear, okay? This, there's no way this guy. So everything it just took a turn, right? The Get yourself a man who can do both. It really took a turn, all right? And so she doesn't have a crush on Rip anymore, and we're in couples therapy, and it's, all, it's working out. So, But that's where get yourself a man kind of takes a turn. And listen, we're going to make sense of this right now. This is not a message about having a beard or being tough. This is not a message just for the guys. My point is, David is complex. David, his wisdom, the thing is that we're going to learn under the surface of what he does is going to seem antithetical to how we want to live our lives today. That just means it's going to seem the opposite. We're going to have a gut reaction, and David is going to go, no, we're going to do it this way. David's wisdom is complex. It's versatile. He goes from a peaceful pasture to a king's castle to a cave of sorrow and ultimately to restoration. But I want you to remember that Bible song that we heard at the beginning. Under God's protection, always in his care, David knew that God was always there. Let's pray together, and then we're going to get into our text. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this church. For these people, what an honor it is to be sharing today. I pray that you would just speak through these texts, Lord. Speak through these verses. Allow us to just absorb your wisdom and the wisdom of David this morning, God. We pray all these things in your name. And everybody said, amen. All right, we're going to be in 1 Samuel today. If you have a Bible, that's awesome. If you have the Bible app, that's great too. If you don't, we're going to have the verses on the screen for you. I'll give you a second to turn there, though. If this message uh, had a title, it would be Love God and Love People. As you guys turn there, uh, I want to remind you, come hang out with us at Guest Central after the service. And if you're watching online, drop us a comment. We would love to connect with you as well. All right, let's jump into 1 Samuel 18, verse 6. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs, with timbrels and lyres. Those are instruments. Those are just old school instruments. As they danced, they sang. Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me only with thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. So we've heard a little bit about David. We're going to look at David and Saul's relationship. So some things you need to know as we look at this text. David was the youngest in his family, and a prophet named Samuel came to visit his family to find out 
who would, the, who would be the next king. Saul was the current king, but they were prophesying who was going to be the next king. Now, David had a lot of brothers. He had a lot of older brothers. And you might be surprised to find out they were not super stoked that little brother Davy was chosen to be the next king. They weren't, like, super pumped about that. And so this is where we find David. He is now living in the courts of the king because he was chosen by this prophet. So what does this king look like? Let's talk about Saul. Saul was originally chosen by God, but somewhere along the lines, he did not start out this way. He became something of a mad king. This is after Samuel selects David. This is after David slays Goliath. And now he's in Saul's court as something of a protege to the king. So what does Saul's character look like? Saul was something of a mad king. He was insecure. He forced others to follow him. And he abused those around him. So let's put, it, let's put it in some terms maybe that makes sense for us today. Maybe you've been a part of a company, or maybe you've been on a team, or maybe you've had someone in authority over your life. Many of us find ourselves in these kind of power dynamic situations. So picture that there's maybe a CEO of a company, and he's running this company, and he's become insecure. He forces his authority around. He's become something of a mad king. And now you are this up-and-comer. You're coming up. You're making waves. People are respecting you. They're looking to you. And instead of this authority bringing you under their wing, they get angry. They get insecure. Why do we do that? Flip it around. Try to put yourself in the perspective of Saul or the CEO or this leader. Why do we do that? Why do we get angry? Why do we get insecure? Well, as we can see in the text, Saul started comparing. We compare ourselves. Comparison is our enemy all the time. Maybe there's fear of losing that kingdom. Maybe there's fear that others won't follow. Maybe this person, this Saul, is insecure about their calling. And maybe they even start throwing spears. Let's look at this next verse, verse 10. The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the lyre. That's another old school instrument, as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. What? Saul is throwing spears at David now. He is trying to pin him to the wall. Man. What do you do when someone starts throwing spears at you? What do you do when someone throws a spear at you? Maybe you're thinking like, uh, it doesn't happen to me very often. And hopefully in our day and age, you guys aren't getting literal spears thrown at you. But what about figuratively? What about verbally? What about words? When those spears are coming at you in your workplace, on a team, in relationships, what's your gut reaction tell you to do? Someone's throwing a spear at you. What's that gut reaction say? I'll tell you what mine says. Mine says, throw it back. Pick it up. Throw that spear back. That's my, that's my gut reaction. That's what I want to do. Because that's going to prove what? In our minds, we think, well, proves I'm courageous. Proves that I'm tough. I can't be pushed around. Proves that I'm not going to be wronged. But what did David do? Oh, man. This is tough. David simply never gets hit. And he never throws it back. What? Isn't that infuriating? 
Isn't that just the opposite of what our gut reaction tells us to do? I told you that David's wisdom was going to seem antithetical to what our gut reactions are. So maybe you're thinking, okay, well, Saul was the king, right? So maybe he couldn't throw it back. But remember, remember from what we just read, David had clout. David had the armies that were backing him up. The people were tired of mad King Saul. He had the people behind him. He had this clout. He had the armies. Put yourself in that, that workplace situation. Maybe the spears have been thrown and people have your back and they're going, you know what, that guy deserves what he's going to get. You should return the spears. I, I've got your back. No. That's not who David was. That's not who he ever was. Because David knew this secret. I'm going to tell you this secret that David knew. He learned to never learn anything about the easily mastered art of spear throwing. Because when you return a spear, you are learning how to throw them yourself. David refused to learn how to be like Saul. He knew Saul was chosen by God, and so he was able to love him despite the circumstances. But more than that, he refused to ever learn the behavior that turned Saul into a mad king. David knew that in time, because of God's promise, that the kingdom was, would be his. But he wasn't interested in taking it by force. He wasn't interested in besting Saul. David was committed to loving God and loving people. And because of that, he knew there was nothing that he couldn't endure. When you're dealing with someone like this in your life, maybe it's someone in authority over you, at your school, at your work, on a team, here's what David teaches us. The spears are going to come. The Saul's may be at your back, but don't learn how to be like them because when you endure, you ensure the Saul within you will perish. Don't learn how to be like Saul. Don't learn how to throw those spears back. This is tough. I'm preaching this to myself. This is unconventional wisdom in an age that says kill or be killed. This is a rare character in a time that says to get revenge. Church, this is not the only time that Saul threw spears at David. There's other times that we see this take place, and every time I read it, my gut reaction is just, throw it back. Throw it back. That's not who David was. It's just not who he ever was. So who was he? What are some attributes we can look at of David? We're going to put those up on the screen. David was a true king when he became the king. He did not let the Saul within him survive. Others followed him by choice. And he was secure in his calling. So don't pick up that spear. Don't go online and throw that spear back. Be secure in your calling. Love God. Love people. Let's look at where we get some reconciliation. Let's look at where we get some resolution to this story. We're going to go to 1 Samuel 24. And the resolution comes not in the form of revenge. This is not a revenge story. But this is... The conclusion to Saul and David's story. 1 Samuel 24. Saul returned from chasing the Philistines. Then he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 of the best soldiers from the whole nation of Israel. He started out to look for David and his men. He planned to look near the rocky cliffs of the wild goats. He came to some sheep pens along the way. A cave was there. Saul went in to go to the toilet. David and his men were far back in the cave. David's men said, this is the day the Lord told you about. He said to him, I will hand your enemy over to you. Then you can deal with him as you want to. So David came up close to Saul without being seen. He cut off a corner of Saul's robe. 
Later, David felt sorry that he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, may the Lord keep me from doing a thing like that again to my master. He is the Lord's anointed king, so I promise that I will never lay my hand on him. The Lord has anointed him. David said that to correct his men. He wanted them to know that they should never suggest harming the king. He didn't allow them to attack Saul. So he left the cave and went on his way. This is not a revenge story. David is on the run, y'all. David is living in caves. And from his perspective, this might be the rest of his life. We can see the end of the story because we can read ahead. But all David knew was, I'm on the run. I'm living in caves. I'm on the lamb, as they say. He was being hunted by Saul. But what he does in these moments and who David was and how he trusted in God's promises, we see a lesson on authority. We see a lesson on character. See, David had a, a small army with him. It says he had about 400 men, and he didn't ask any of those men to follow him. David's choices, his character, and even the way that he left the kingdom caused those men to want to follow him. He didn't have to stir up any dissension when he left. When he left that job, when he left that team, he didn't have to talk badly about Saul. He didn't have to stir anything up. He didn't have to rally people against Saul. His choices, his character, and the way that he left caused all these men to want to follow him. I'll tell you something. If you have authority, you don't have to talk about it. People that talk about having authority all the time, they don't actually have it. If you have to tell people that you're the boss, guess what? You're not the boss. If you have to tell people that you're in charge, I hate to tell you, you're not in charge. So why was this true of David? Why did he have this ability? Why did he have this character? Why did he have these men that wanted to follow him? Because he was secure in his calling, he trusted in God's promises, and he didn't throw his authority around. And so what's his next move? He's in this cave. Does he choose to get his revenge? So Saul enters. And we're not going to get too graphic here, but it says that Saul went in the cave because he had to go to the toilet. That's just natural. That's human, right? Are we ever at our more vulnerable state than when we're in the bathroom? Right, y'all? Like, are humans ever more vulnerable than we're in the bathroom? I don't think we are, man. And especially nowadays, like, it takes us, some of us, like, five minutes just to get up because we've been... Uh, we've had our elbows firmly planted in our knees, scrolling on TikTok or Instagram. We've been done for 10 minutes, but we're still in there. Moms, you go in there just to get some peace and quiet, right? You're just trying to get away. And then you go to stand up, and there is no blood flow, and then you just fall to the ground, right? We are at our most vulnerable, especially now. So what do we do when we find someone at their most vulnerable? Do we choose mercy or do we choose, choose revenge? What did David do? Instead of dealing that final death blow, that death stroke, he takes a piece of Saul's garment. Man, but what do we do? What do we want to do? When that person's been a thorn in our side, when we go, man, this person's been the bane of my existence, this is my chance. This is my moment. I'm going to go John Wick style right now. I'm going I'm to blow up their comment section. Boom, roasted. Right? This is, our, this is our time to take our revenge. Not David. David decides to trust God, to lean on the promises, to not take matters into his own hands. And so what is he able to do? He brings the garment to Saul 
And this is how their story is resolved. He decides, I'm going to trust in my calling. I am secure. I will not learn how to be a Saul. I will not learn how to throw spears. And he finds Saul at his most vulnerable. And friends, in my life, when I've encountered situations like this, it's when I'm at my most vulnerable and that other person is at their most vulnerable that a breakthrough can actually happen. That God can actually move and something incredible can happen. And that's exactly what happens here. David shows the garment to Saul and he says, I could not bring you harm. He shows him the garment and what happens? This breaks Saul. It breaks him. It says that Saul wept. Instead of taking his revenge, instead of destroying Saul, the mercy that was shown broke him. And that is what restored these two men. When we trust God through these situations, when we're able to put these difficult relationships, these difficult desert seasons, these dark cave moments, when we put them on God, instead of desolation, there is restoration. Instead of desolation, there is restoration. But we got to be secure in our calling. We got to refuse to let the Saul in us win. We got to love people. We got to lean on God. My wife recently took our two boys. We have uh, two awesome boys. Uh, they are uh, eight and 11. She took them uh, on a swim day to Lake Gregory. Anybody go to Lake Gregory? They've got like water slides and it's a good spot. So she took them. I was working. She took them down there and they're real strong swimmers. They love to swim. Their, their grandpa taught them. They would be in the pool all summer if we let them. So they're in line and there's a little boy with his mom in front of them in line and he's not pumped about going in the water. He's just straight up, he's, he's not stoked. He starts freaking out a little bit. And so um, before we continue this story, uh, we have an amazing group of uh, older crowd here with us, and they are such an amazing part of our church. But I want to help you guys out this morning. There's a lot of slang phrases and things that the youth like to use these days um, that are they're sometimes hard to wrap our heads around, right? So I want to help you guys with these slang phrases uh, and then you can use them on your uh, kids and your grandkids, and they're going to think you're super cool, right? Okay. So uh, the first one is bussin'. Does anybody know what bussin' means? Has anyone heard this word, bussin'? This just means good. This means, like, this is a good thing. I like this. So my 8-year-old will say, um, for example, oh, this pizza is bussin', right? Did I use that right, Jess? Okay, good. All right, the second one. Second one is no, no cap, Okay. So no cap is like, I'm serious, or for real, you can believe me. Um, so like, you could use it as an example. You could say, um, I saw the new Barbie movie, and it was really good. No cap, right? I'm serious. It was. All right, so our, our last one, and this one's most important to the story. This is a phrase that is used a lot by our Gen Zers and, and younger. And the phrase is, on God. Would you guys say that with me? We're in church. Ready? on God. That was super weak. Ready one more time. On God. Yes. So this is a promise. This is like, this is a grave reassurance. Like, don't mess around with this one, all right? So like, I could say, um, guess what? We're going to go to Disneyland. And you would say, on God? On God, we're going to Disneyland? Are you, put your hand on the Bible. On God, really? Don't mess with this one. This is way more serious than no cap, all right? On God. So let me finish, let me finish our story. Keep that one locked and loaded. So this little boy is in line in front of my wife, and he starts, he's just not having a good time. He's, uh, Mom, I don't want to go. I'm scared of the water. I might drown. I don't know. And so she leans over, and she says, Mijo, Mijo, it's fine. 
you're going to be fine. Everybody wears life jackets, mijo. It's going to be good. And he goes, say on God. Say on God, mom. Say it. Say on God. Say on God. And she says, mijo, on God. It's going to be fine. Mijo, on God. On God. All right. David, David put everything on God. Not to be too cheesy. But David was all about putting everything he had on God. He doesn't need to take matters into his own hands. When he's down, when he struggles, when the struggles of life come, when the spears are being thrown, he puts everything on God and he finds himself ultimately restored with the one who would try to do him harm. So what can you put on God today? What situation? What relationship? What kind of weapons are being formed against you that you can put on God today? I've got one last quick story about David that I feel really encapsulates his trust in God's promises as we close out today. So I'm just going to give you the highlights. David and his men, they come home from a battle, and they find that an enemy has taken everything. So picture one of those movies, those gladiator movies, or the Patriot. They come home from battle, and everything's gone. I'm talking about their wives, their kids, their stuff. Everything is gone. And it's at this point that David's men, they turn on him. And David has no one. The people that had his back, the men that chose to follow him because of his character, his community, his team, his squad, they finally crack and they turn on him. So David has no friends and no community. He has no one. He's abandoned. What do we do when we find ourselves all alone? Did David finally take his eyes off of God? Did he become bitter like Saul? Did he lose sight of God's promises? No, it's at this moment. This is something that separates David from Saul. David learned how to encourage himself in the Lord. Now, community is a huge part of our church. Community is a huge part of our faith. I don't want to miss that. We have groups. We have connection groups. We have rooted. Community is so important. But there are going to be times when it's just going to boil down to you and God when it's just going to boil down to me and God. So how did David encourage his spirit when he found himself alone? What do you do when you find yourself all alone? Well, as we mentioned earlier, David was a worshiper. He was a poet at heart. He was a musician. He wrote many of the psalms that are in the Bible that we use as worship songs today. And obviously, as the worship leader here, this resonates with me. I know many of you, even in this room, you lean on songs in these dark cave moments, these, these songs of worship that we sing that speak of who God is and of his character and of his promises. I know many of you do that. I remember a time in my life where I was living in Orange County and I just had my first child and then I immediately lost my job and I was terrified and I felt so alone. And I remember sitting in a room like this, off to the side there was a piano and I began to sing this song that we're going to sing together right now. And it encouraged my spirit. It encouraged my soul in the Lord. And so that's what we learned from David. That's what sets him apart from Saul, is learning how to encourage your spirit in the Lord. And so I want to lead you through this song a little bit. And maybe you're thinking, I'm not a musician. I'm not a vocalist. That's all right. Maybe you need to get alone in your car. Maybe you need to get alone in nature. You need to let these words encourage your soul and your spirit this morning. This is one simple way to encourage your spirit the way David did. So this song says this, Christ alone, 
cornerstone, the weak made strong in the Savior's love. Through the storm, he is Lord, Lord of all. Would you stand, church, as we close out our service today? The song goes like this. Christ alone, the cornerstone, the weak made strong in the Savior's love. And through the storm, He is Lord, Lord of all. Christ alone, cornerstone. There's so many things in this world that we can choose to lean on, but the promises of God are always sure. They're always steadfast. The weak made strong in the Savior's love. We don't have to prove how strong we are. We don't have to throw spears back. We don't have to learn how to be like Saul. We just have to love with the love that was first given to us. And through the storm, he is Lord, Lord of all. There's nothing that we cannot weather with the love and the promises of our God. Church, we're going to worship and we're going to sing this morning. Let's celebrate and sing these words out together.